0: Hello and welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast sponsored by the North Jersey Vipers Softball Club, the longest running softball club in Bergen County and one of the premier programs in all of New Jersey. Go to their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. Softball season is right around the corner. All right, Seton Hall and St. John's rang in the new year with a bang. The Johnnies disposing of Butler and An all-around excellent team performance. For my money, their most complete performance of the season behind. Only their win over Utah. And then Seton Hall. My goodness. Boy, do they serve notice in the Big East. You'd better bring your big boy pants when you play the Pirates as they bullied the Providence Friars in the building formerly known as the Dunk. Whatever you want to call it. Amica Mutual Pavilion, the Dunk. It's one of the best home court advantages in the Big East and the country. And you've probably seen the numbers, right? In the last 50 games, Providence is 46-4 and at home. And two of those losses have come to Seton Hall. Go figure. A lot to chew on. So let's get to it. It is my pleasure to welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast a man who knows the Big East about as well as anyone. The former head coach of St. John's, the former assistant to Rick Barnes at Providence College way back in the day, and now an ESPN broadcaster, Fran Fraschilla. Coach, Happy New Year. It is so great to talk to you.
1: Thanks, Brian. Yeah, you know, I saw Seton Hall play Baylor early in the year, obviously following St. John's was just in Providence to watch Marquette lose to Providence, and certainly the injury to Bryce Hopkins the other night in that Seton Hall game is devastating. But uh, my guy, Shaheen Holloway, who I tried to convince to come to St. John's, he will he will tell people that the day I got the job, I went to his house. I knew he was, you know, leaning towards Seton Hall. They did a great job of recruiting him. But uh, I got to tell you, I'm surprised in a great way that he has made such an easy transition to college coaching. He's an excellent coach, proved it at Saint Peter's, and uh, he's certainly proving it at Seton Hall.
0: He certainly put his time in, coach. Too, you know, he put his time in at the high school level, yep. uh, at at um, you know Bloomfield Tech in New Jersey, and then obviously was under Kevin Willard's wing for for many years. Um, what do you think makes him uh, a successful college coach? Well, going back to watching
1: him at St. Peter's, um, he, they, you know, like you're even seeing it now at Seton Hall, even last year, I thought they overachieved. Um, He's, he holds them accountable, you know, like any good coach, but it's a little harder for a guy that doesn't have the experience of like, like Shaheen is only really just new to coaching over the last handful of years, despite the fact that you said, Brian, that he put in a lot of time behind the scenes but his teams run great offense, uh, and they execute. And I don't say that lightly because there's not a lot of teams that are in that top 25% when you when I, when I watch it because I see it from a different vantage point, and I say that team's well coached. I know Seton Hall's well coached. They were at St. Peter's. He gets them to do what he wants. They play hard for him. Uh, you want to call him a player's coach? Yes, but he also gets on them and holds them accountable. And uh, it's hard to harder to do that these days when guys will just pick up and leave, uh, but but Shaheen really has a good grasp of what it takes to be a successful coach.
0: So you saw them earlier in the season against Baylor. This is not the same team. And granted, Baylor's an yeah. an elite top ten program. They've proven that. Yeah. Uh, what's the difference in this team now? How have they been able to find that switch? Well, when I saw them early in the year, they you know like they were in the midst of a crazy travel schedule.
1: And so they were coming and going and then, I, mean, I can't remember exactly who they played before they played at Baylor, but I was looking at the schedule like, man, this is a lot of travel. So what, when they went down to Waco, um, it was a Tuesday night, it was December 5th, I
0: believe. That was after and the Thanksgiving tournament, right? They are out in San yeah, Diego.
1: That's right. They were in San Diego. They lost two tough games out there. Um, and then they had to, I think, fly home and fly back if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, they really got off to a slow start against Baylor and then made a run in the second half and Kadari Richmond I knew was pretty good but was was better than I even thought like Kadari is a potential NBA player if he shot it better mm-hmm. I'd say absolutely can play and he may still play in the league cuz he's definitely talented enough but I also love the way he plays he plays to win he plays to make his teammates better he plays with toughness. You know, he's a big guard. He can rebound. He can score inside. Um, and then he compliments, you know, Alamir Dawes. He compliments, uh, uh, how would I say it, uh, Ade, Adewasu? Did I say that right? Adewasu, Adewasu. Adewasu, yeah, excuse me. Um, you know, bettyako has been solid, better than I thought, you know. Um, but Kadari is the, is the straw that stirs the drink, and he's the extension of Shaheen. And been very impressed with him. Not surprised that they went to Providence. Providence is an overachieving team also. And then when you lose Bryce Hopkins in the middle of the game, that's a mental blow, but still a great win for Seton Hall. And I think they're going to overachieve again. And I don't I don't mean that as a negative to the players. I just think they're not the most talented team in the Big East. And they're not probably one of the foremost talented teams. Right. But they'll overachieve wherever they were picked. I'm not sure where they were picked, but they'll be better than that.
0: Yeah, they were, they were picked ninth in in, in the big East conference and, he, and, and, and right, right fourth, behind.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And if they're fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, it means he's done a heck of a
0: job with them. So that Providence game, look, you know, you're right. Providence, uh, you know, has done a very good job under, under Kim English. Uh, Devon Carter is is a tremendous, tremendous, one of the best point guards and, and all around point guards in, in the big East. Yeah. Uh, were you surprised, with that matchup, I found it fascinating that Kadari in in some ways out muscled Carter and and really yeah. got to his spots as well as he did. Uh is that a, a credit to Seton Hall or is it just um you know an indictment on on, on Providence? No, I mean,
1: uh, you know, Carter's one of the best defensive guards in America, but when you talk about Kadari Richmond, you're talking about a six foot five point guard, because that's what he is. You know, he's a facilitator. And if he has an NBA future, it's probably as a big point guard. You know, I hate, it's funny because, you know, I'm a New Yorker and Kadari yeah. grew up not far from where I grew up in Brooklyn, you know, South Shore High School, which was in my division when I went to James Madison just a couple of years ago, Brian.
0: Yeah, uh, just a few.
1: Yeah, but um, so Kadari and I talked about the neighborhood. He had no idea I coached at St. John's. You know, these guys don't, you know, they he probably, did, they probably don't know who Larry Bird is, but that's okay. You know, <laughs> that's just the era we live in. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just making fun of Kadari but um Kadari reminds me of Lance Stevenson you
0: wow know what I mean?
1: he I mean you know he's like a Isaiah Whitehead he's a big strong point guard or lead guard whatever you want to call him and so wasn't surprised at all because Baylor had trouble with him and Baylor's got a backcourt that's right up there and probably the top five backcourts in the country so and again uh Providence is a good team they they beat Marquette handily the night I saw them But when you get to conference play and it's not like Providence has a lot of NBA players. So Kadari, you could make a case that even going into the game, he was the best player, going to be the best player
0: on the court. And he played that way. In an era where, where, you know, players are switching so much and, and NIL and, and the the talent level Seton Hall, you know, behind uh, by several months, if not a year and trying to get NIL there. What does it say about what, Shaheen has been able to do, as you said, with with less talent um, and and finding guys like even a Jaden Bediaco, who who, you know, came from Santa Clara, not a power five conference and is more than holding his own in the Big East.
1: Well, don't forget, Shaheen also did a great job with Tyree Samuel and 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 up and upped his stock. And, you know, I talked to some of the Seton Hall people when they were down in Waco and they tell me they're building a practice facility. Yeah. I will tell you this, I'm going to say this to you. I've never said this because I don't, you know, I I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't traffic in the big East right now because I'm at ESPN. Right. Um, And I love the big East, but if you give Shaheen Holloway, if you give him the same resources that Providence has, Villanova has, Georgetown's giving Eddie Cooley, uh, Xavier Creighton, Shaheen Holloway could build a top 10 program at Seton Hall. And I'm not just saying that I'm not, and I don't know anybody there. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, I, I I haven't talked to Shaheen, but once in the last five years when I saw him in Waco. So it's not like he asked me to say this, but he's a heck of a coach and he's obviously the face of that program because of what he did as a player. And if Seton Hall somehow, some way would have the financial resources to do there, what other Catholic schools do, you know, around America, Gonzaga, again, all these schools, Shaheen could build a a, a top 25 program year in and year out because of his personality. And because you have to commit resources nowadays in college basketball to be good. I've seen it with Villanova. I've seen it. Providence has the best practice facility in the big East. So anyway, but to your point, Shaheen gets the most out of his talent. And and what I will say about Qadari Richmond is that he could have left after last year to go somewhere and collected NIL money big, Um, And he didn't, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a low key New York area kid from Brooklyn, probably loves playing for Shaheen. Shaheen has pretty much given him the, the, the license to drive the car and it's, and it's working out great for Kadari. but uh, I just want to say Seton Hall has to understand what they have in Shaheen because he is a, uh, he's a rising star. He is.
0: That's saying a lot, coach, Uh, you know, and coming from you, it's, it's, it's high praise yeah. how important though is the practice facility versus the Nil money well it's funny you say that because
1: Mike Loxley the football coach of uh, my at Maryland they built this brand new football complex at Maryland last year and he said the way Nil is now a ki- a, a kid will dress in a garbage can for 25 extra a tw- extra 25 grand okay yeah. <laughs> there's some truth to <laughs> Uh, and maybe the NIL money is as important as the facility, but it really has to be all well-rounded, you know? And I'll, I'll say this, Villanova doesn't have an unbelievable practice facility. It probably was 15 years ago, the Davis Center. And I know the facility because my son, Matt, you know, was part of that coaching staff for five yeah. years. Now he's at Harvard. But uh, but yeah, it, it just takes, you know, even St. John's, um, still doing it with mirrors, you know? Uh, and if... Again, I'm not telling everybody in the Big East that doesn't have a great practice facility big one, to, do, to build a big one, but all these little things matter, these little bells and whistles, and then NIL certainly matters too in modern college basketball and football. So the more they could do for Shaheen, I just think college basketball, these Catholic schools, the basketball program, Brian, is the front porch of the house. Yeah, It's not the most important part of the university, but it is the part people see first. And when your Seton Hall basketball team is in an elite eight, for example, um, it really, really helps admissions. And we, I've, I've talked to Mark Few about this many times. That school at Gonzaga was on the brink of maybe going out of existence in the in the mid nineties, and now all of a sudden, like they can't turn away enough kids because they because so many young people, especially on the West Coast, want to go to Gonzaga because they want to be part of cheering for a great basketball team.
0: History shows, right? That the basketball team and these basketball, uh, non-football programs, when they do well, admissions uh, applications go up. No question, yeah, Coach. I've seen
1: it at Xavier. I've seen it at Villanova. Yeah, you know. And uh, even when I was living in Texas, where we live in Colorado now, but even when I was living in Texas, like we had, you know, it's a football in Dallas. You know, by the way, Dennis Jenkins went to high school about two miles. We'll talk about Dennis. In yeah, a yeah. But Dan- Dennis went to. uh Dennis went to high school about two miles from where I lived in Dallas. And I didn't even know Dennis. That's how out of the, under the radar he came. But anyway, getting back to it, we got kids in Dallas that go to Alabama to go to college just because they have a great football team. Right. You yeah. Know? And it's the same way in the, in the Northeast with basketball. You know, if you have a chance to go to Villanova and get a great education, by the way, like you could at Seton Hall of Providence, you also want to be able to say, I went to Villanova. We went to the final
0: four. You know, that's really cool. I wear my Villanova gear. Kind of how it works. Yeah, yeah, and and in the Northeast, it's amazing how many kids from New Jersey want to go to Alabama, and and in the Deep South, right, yeah. and experience that because of football, one hundred percent.
1: By the way, way you've been you've been to stores lately? I mean, come on, it's 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 okay, it's nice, but it's you know, it's a it's a cow pasture.
0: I lived at stores I say jokingly.
1: I say it jokingly, <laughs> but that's why kids want to go to college there, and not only because it is a state university with a lot of great yeah. Resources, but they want to go to the XL Center. They want to go to Gamble. They want to say they went to UConn when you know when Jim Calhoun won a national title or Danny Hurley. Right. You know, you go to the Final Four last year, and you know there's there's twenty thousand UConn fans there.
0: It's thirty minutes off the exit. I mean, you're you're (laughs) driving through one cow country after another, right? So Um, you know, if you're a kid from Brooklyn, you know some some of that might actually appeal to you to to get out of Sheepshead Bay where I grew up. Listen, if you can make it out of there, right? It, it's uh, it's exactly. not a bad place to go it's to play not a basketball. Cow for sure. sure, it's not a cow pasture. <laughs> but
1: they do have a good
0: agricultural program there. Let's yes, say. and a and a great uh, dairy farming. Uh, uh, without go. a well, doubt, great ice cream. <laughs> I'm probably not far off, but I didn't mean it as an insult. No, believe me. Hey, I'm I'm from <laughs> Connecticut, so no, I know, I know, I know <laughs> it well, Coach. I know it well. So you <laughs> mentioned Dennis Jenkins. Let, let's talk about St. John's here, yeah. because. Uh, you know, as his play has become more consistent, as he has elevated his game and taken care of the basketball, I think you've seen a marked increase in, in the way St. John's is playing. No question
1: about it. And first of all, let's just put it out there. You know, they've got one of the great coaches of all time. And I've said this, and, you know, he actually tweeted me something last week because I was snarky. Yeah,
0: let's talk about that in a minute. We will.
1: Well, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, I, I this is the old Big East, you know. I, I had this couple run-ins with Jim Calhoun when I was coaching at St. John's, but, and, and what you have to do is you have to stand up for your program, you know, in the big East, it's, it's dog eat dog. It was that way in the eighties, excuse me, nineties, uh, you know, what, 2009, I think, or 2011, they put 11 teams in the tournament. Right. So it's a dog eat dog league. And, and so right off the bat, they made a great hire in Rick Patino because Rick is, and I don't know Rick as well as I know, The other coaches in the league, Jay Wright, Danny Hurley, but Rick's one of the great, you know, arguably one of the top 10 college coaches of all time. And had he not gone to the NBA, he would probably have one more national championship, maybe two, who knows. Um, But Rick Rick is in an elite category of college basketball coaches. So right off the bat, to get to Dennis Jenkins, who played for him for two years at Iona, you know he's going to make a transition eventually to the Big East because he's got Rick coaching him. And, uh, you know, I was joking about Dennis. Uh Dallas has incredible high school talent. There are so many kids like Dennis Jenkins that go to Pacific and they go here or there. And the next thing, you know, they're really good players. And in his case, Pacific to Iona and out of St. John's. So, you know, not surprised based on what he did at Iona last year and now making that transition to St. John's. And now he's really playing like the kind of point guard that Rick wants him to be. But he also, like Bill Self, has his guys. Rick's going to put confidence in his point guard and that's what danis is doing right now
0: he's really taken his game to another level uh you know hit some big shots against hofstra late in that game to seal that win and that was a a gutsy game out of out of hofstra and then and then carried that over into the butler game you know that was a game these two teams could be fighting each other in the big east butler and saint john's for maybe that fifth sixth spot along with Villanova. Who knows how it's going to end up, right? So yeah. advantage St. John's the first time they've they've played each other. Uh, you had an emotional return for Posh Alexander. Um, but you can see that the way Rick Patino wants to play, yeah. Jenkins, a guy who he coached for, for two years, now his third year, really yeah. fits him better than, than, than Posh. And that's not a knock against Posh because he's a very good player.
1: Yeah, no, and I think there's a comfort level. You know, I don't know what went on, Posh staying, leaving, whatever. You know, obviously there was a lot of commotion when Rick took over and who was staying and leaving and putting a roster together. And quite frankly, to be honest with you, um, Chris Ledwin played at Harvard, where my son now coaches coach Chris last year. I was watching with interest because he really just threw a roster together. Like I saw Glenn Taylor play last year in Corvallis, my first trip to Corvallis when they played UCLA. So as he was adding pieces, my thought process was, and I say this, uh, I guess I'm going to be blunt and say yeah. like, he was just throwing a team together and then he'll coach him up. Like he just was grabbing ingredients and and trying to now make a really good meal out of it. And I think he will by the end of the year, but I'm not sure this is exactly the team he'd love to coach. He just had no choice, but to. he and his staff put a roster together. But in Dennis, you have a known commodity to Rick because he did coach him for two years. And it, the proof's in the pudding because you can tell there's a real comfort level between them. And also, when you play for Rick Patino, you have no choice but to improve. I mean, there's no choice. He's going to push you every single day. Doesn't matter how good you are, no matter what accolades you have, you're going to get coached hard like Calhoun did. You know, like Tom Izzo does, like Kelvin Sampson does, like Danny Hurley does. Like if you play for Rick Pitino, you got to know what you're getting. You're not you're getting a whole ball of wax like there's not there's never a day off in terms of improvement. And that's why I think to your point about the middle of the league, there's a lot of stuff that's going to go on
0: between now and early March, because I think that you're going to see Rick's team get better and better. And that's what he said and warned at the beginning of the season. And yeah. and that's what makes Rick, you know, it, in my mind, I mean, I, I, I've i said this before on my podcast. You know, I was a, a nice high school basketball player, went to Rick's basketball camp at Providence when yeah. right the year before he took the team to the Final Four. And I'm watching Billy Donovan and Delray Brooks practice and Stevie Wright and you know, amazed at these guys. And a year later, they, they go to the Final Four. I've loved Rick Pitino and and I would have loved to have played for him. I, I just was not on that level. Um, yeah. You know, so, so I've really followed his career coach. And, and it's amazing to me now that he's in New York, I'm seeing him more closely, man. He is not afraid to call his players out huh. to, to call it. Like it is tell them they're an awful defensive team. They, they can't follow a scouting report. Um, Brady Dunlap is, not, you know, a physical specimen. He, he's not strong enough, right? But yet the next moment, he'll praise you and talk about how great you are and how I need you. I mean, that's not an easy guy to play for. No,
1: I'm going to break news here on this podcast for you, okay? Uh, in
0: 1978,
1: I had a good friend by the name of Glenn Consor, who's from uh, Bayside, Flushing, Bayside. And Glenn was a sophomore at B U, uh, Boston U. Okay, yep. He was fairly highly recruited out of New York, and he chose B-U, academics, et cetera. 1978, September, I was a sophomore in college at Brooklyn College, and a couple of our friends went up to see uh, uh, Glenn. I knew I was going to be a college basketball coach, even when I was a college kid. And so we sneak into one of those September workouts. We actually went up and and uh, were up there for the Boston Massacre when the Yankees swept him and came from, like, 14 back –
0: Uh, Ah, one of my my worst days in Red Sox fan history. Thank
1: you. Dan. I know. But that (laughs) September we snuck into the gym at B and Rick Pitino doesn't even know this. That's why I'm breaking news. I watched a conditioning workout that September from probably a corner of the gym. And And I didn't know anything about Rick. He was 25 years old and like it was amazing the intensity the bricks you know the the bricks tape The if you ask ask someday about the bricks because you had to do defensive slides with bricks in your hands right bricks. but anyway well, let me visualize I, this I, what
0: do you mean you had you that? had a brick in each hand
1: and you're, yeah. and you're doing oh, the were, length of the court they were taped so they wouldn't damage the floor if they fell but you did defensive slides with bricks in your hand and that, that was actually a form of punishment
0: oh my god
1: but my point was, he was intense back then. He's always been intense. He'll be intense until the day he stops coaching. And in modern basketball, very few guys could coach with his intensity. And the reason he can do it is because his track record is pretty much second to none. So if you go play there, it's even like Chris Ledlam. You know, people don't realize Chris Ledlam committed to Tennessee and then left Tennessee after a month this summer. And when he transferred to St. John's and I know Chris, Chris is actually from Sheepshead Bay from my neighborhood, you know, um, it, it also, it's all coming back to Brooklyn. Yeah, coach. All coming back. I mean, Chris <laughs> literally is his family is from Sheepshead Bay. I grew up there, you know, d- down there in a, the, in a Southern part of Flatbush as we would say. But when I said, Chris committed, to, when I saw that, I said, okay, Chris has got a lot of talent. He's going to be, and Tommy Amaker is a heck of a coach. He is, you know, my son's up there now. But Chris doesn't know what he's in for. And, you know, if Chris can continue to – now, we know he's been up and down. He's got an ankle injury now. But even if Chris gets healthy, you'll see improvement from him by the end of the year. But, I mean, to get back to the point, when you play for Rick, you're going to improve. Dennis is perfect. Brady Dunlap comes out of nowhere the other night, not yeah. playing much. Uh, you know, Joel has become uh, one of the best big men in the country. You know, Jordan dingle has been injured, but I think he's got a chance that in, if he gets healthy to be special – and I think this team's going to overachieve. And I, I, I'd i be surprised if they're not an NCAA tournament team.
0: Yeah, I, that's what I was going to get to. I, I think you would not want to play this team in in March in the Big East tournament when it comes that time. Um, But yet they're, they're, he's still trying to figure it all out, Coach. And, you know, you mentioned Glenn Taylor Jr. He didn't play a minute the other night, right? This is a player who started Oregon State. He, he started the year in the starting lineup. And, I mean, how is... I know you're not there. I'm not there, yeah, but yeah. how does a guy like that handle this and move forward? And how does Patino not lose him after not playing him for a minute?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, again, Glenn's one of those guys when he committed to St. John's, I, I said to myself, I'm not sure he's good enough to play there, hmm. you know, because he's on a losing team at Oregon state and he's a good athlete. And he's had some good moments this year. And he's the kind of guy that if he buys in, we'll get better. And again, I've seen this with Rick. If he's not playing right now, there's a reason he's not playing. And if he goes back to the gym and practice and figures out why he's not playing, he'll play. That's how it works. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that, that they've moved in a little bit different direction for now. But, you know, Rick, that's why I said I think they threw the roster together in year one, and he's going to make the most out of it. And he will. But I think the key for St. John's going forward, he's got a good coaching staff that knows New York is now to add more Joel Sorianos and Jordan Dingles uh, to the mix. Transfers, high school, you know, Wilcher is going to probably be a good player in time. Uh, they're recruiting well. They're going after the Boogie Flans and guys like that, even if they mm-hmm. don't like them. And we had this at St. John's, you know, when I got there at St. John's, um, you know, there are people, you know, they had Felipe and Zenden, two guys I love dearly, uh, Tariq Turner, but... I always felt this, and I think Rick can do this, although remember, Brian, high school basketball in New York and Jersey is not what it was, because the 14-year-old kid now goes to prep school. You know, he doesn't necessarily go to Christ. Right. Bishop Ford's closed, doesn't go to Nazareth, you know, doesn't go to Sal Academy like Ronnie Artest did. These kids go to prep school, so they lose the connection with New York City when they go up to New Hampshire, right? But when I was there, we tried to figure out who was going to stay home. And who was going to leave? You know, Ron Artest, Meta wanted to stay home. Elton Brand wanted something else. You know, Reggie Jesse wanted to stay home. Al Harrington wanted to turn pro. So that's going to be Rick's challenge. And they'll get good players. And they should get some guys even from outside of New York to want to play for a Hall of Fame coach, play in the Big East, play at Madison Square Garden. But this team right now is a roster thrown together. And right now, I think that, you know, so far to this point, it's been a successful
0: season. Yeah. Now they go to Villanova, a place they they haven't won at the Pavilion, the Finneran Pavilion, since it was named the Dupont Pavilion. That's thirty one oh. years. Yeah. Right. You got to go back to nineteen ninety three. Um. You know, Kent. I I know Villanova may not have Justin Moore. Uh. He's been doubtful. Missed the last four games. Can, yeah. Saint John's go into Villanova and beat them?
1: Uh, tough game. You know, because J-, J Mo is. They still have a good team, you know, and now they struggled the other night to beat Xavier at home. I watched that game. Um, But, yeah, no, St. John's going to have to play really well in there. We did win in Wells Fargo, just for the record, when I was coaching at St. John's, but we didn't play him at the Fin. Bingo. Providence, we lost a 19-point halftime lead to them once. Uh, No instant replay. Marty Conlon hit a shot at the buzzer that should have counted. And then we had a fight after the game with the students there because – They attacked one of our players. It was an overtime loss, but that's one of the big, great stories in Big East history. Rick Barnes, if it happened today on Twitter, social media, he would have been suspended for the year, but uh, we were, (laughs) we were feisty young coaches
0: back then. Kind of like, so so wait, continue that one. Let let me, let me hear that one a little bit. You you lost a night. You were Providence. You lost a 19 point lead.
1: Bill Raftery was doing the game and, uh, we're up nineteen at the half at the fin at the pavilion at the ski lodge. Yes, yeah. called the ski lodge. Yes, it looks like it looked like a ski lodge, and uh, they come back and tie it second half. Crazy atmosphere, and uh, we go into overtime. We lose the game. We're going off the court, and one guy is yelling at our players. I don't know if he was a student or not, and uh, uh, he hit one of our kids. And Rick Barnes went over the top of. Our player and clocked the guy. And then uh he had a little talk with the commissioner.
0: Uh Rick Barnes went into the stands and <laughs> hit, the, hit a
1: fan. <laughs> this is this is this is the uh what do they call it? Statute of limitations. <laughs> but anyway, the commissioner who was kind of Rick Rick Barnes's dad, basketball dad, Dave Gavitt, the great Dave Dave gavitt, dad. yeah. Um the commission had a little talk with Rick the next day and you know got everything under control. But uh, anyway, that's the old Big East. Yeah, I don't even know if that story made the uh, thirty for thirty. But But,
0: let me tell you something, Coach. That happens today. I mean, it's all over Twitter. And and if he is that, if if Rick Barnes might be suspended for the rest of the season or fired immediately. Well, uh, Rick has mellowed on his way to eight hundred wins.
1: He certainly. We have a lot of great stories about going toe to toe with a young Calhoun. And, uh, you know, recruiting stories. And so I know
0: we've gone off on a tangent here, but it is all Big East basketball. And right, it... right. No, and this this is, I love stuff like this, Coach. You know, you, you left St. John's yeah. after you took them to an NCAA tournament. Yeah. Right? The year before, they were under 500, uh yeah. your first year. Then you win 22 games and, in, in, you know, second best record in the Big East behind only UConn that year it was, what, 97, 98? Yeah, we, right. we
1: started out the season 0-3 in the league. Uh, we lost two December games. Yeah, that was back. Even then, we were playing some December games. And we lost to Seton Hall at the Garden uh, early January. I'll never forget that because Tommy Amaker was coaching, and then we both went to see Al Harrington that night. And then we won 12 out of 13 after that. Felipe started making jump shots and was phenomenal. Zenden Hamilton, phenomenal. Tariq Turner now working for Fox came of age. And of course we had the X factor, Ron Artest. We also had Tyrone Grant and Levar Postel. Right. Who are the great culture guys in St. John's history. You know, they're not talked about the way Felipe and Ron, Ron, Ron are meta meta, but uh, Tyrone Grant and Levar Postel were uh, f- uh, foundational players. Every great program has what my buddy, Joe Mantegna, who coaches at Blair Academy calls culture warriors. Not the one and done guys, but the guys that are so important to your culture. And and then um and then I had the good the bad fortune of interviewing at Arizona State and uh uh thinking I might get a raise and then the the, the you know the 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 administration did not look kindly on that and uh then I put the curse on for 20 years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the curse of Fran Freshella, right? One NCAA Funny. tournament win in the next 25 years. Well, I've whatever said- it was. <laughs> well they went to the Elite Eight.
1: Yeah, and I, yeah. That next year was hard for me because to to watch that team I put together. You know, no offense to Mike Jarvis, um, but that was a hard year for me because we really we didn't know we had Final Four potential, but that team did. More importantly than that, Brian, I have never said this, but I, I might have said it on a podcast or two. The administration did what they did, and they didn't like that I interviewed at another job. They they, they said that I uh, they said my behavior was bad, but trust me, you asked the players on the team that wasn't the case. But more importantly. We had freshmen and sophomores and eighth graders we were recruiting back then that ended up in the Big East as great players and NBA players that we were. I was a recruiting fanatic. And so we were recruiting like eighth and ninth graders that later and Mike, unfortunately, Mike did not really think that recruiting New York was important. Um, But we had kids that ended up at places like Pittsburgh and UConn, for example. Uh, And one of them won a national title at UConn that I absolutely think would have been St. John's players. Um, and they had no idea what we were doing behind the scenes. You know, I think they thought, okay, this young guy is interviewing at Arizona State and we're going to teach him a lesson. And oh, by the way, he's got a whole bunch of good players, so you know, we'll go get somebody else to coach him. And you know, Mike came in and did a good job for a couple of years, but what they really missed out on, and I don't have any bitterness at all, this is just statute of limitation stuff, is we would have been a top 10 program for the foreseeable future until I left because we were so connected to the New York recruiting scene with the high school coaches. I, I spent so much time at Manhattan and St. John's getting to know everybody Lou yeah. Dalmater at the Gauchos and Mr. Lorch at Riverside and the high school coaches in the Catholic league, Jimmy Gatto and Tom Murray at, at Cardinal Hayes, my good friend, John Har- Carey at all Hallows, Jack Curran. Yeah. These were people I cultivated. They were close friends of mine. And uh, unfortunately, you know, St. John's. I thought acted a little bit impetuously. They could have just slapped me on the wrist and said, "We're not. You know, you should be loyal to us because we took you from Manhattan here." And they got rid of me. And honestly, um, my my wife's been great. Um, I love broadcasting. I probably saved my health. Look, I still got my hair. There and you go. <laughs> hair, and it's you look mostly, great. Mostly black, you know. And I'm not even going to tell you how old I am now. But the whole point was. Um, we really had it going, and I just think they swung and missed because they had some good coaches after I left, but they never really had the connection to New York City. Norm Roberts was the closest, and Norm left Steve Lavin, a really good team of New York kids, but they really didn't know what they were missing when they fired me because they didn't know what we were doing behind the scenes. Like We had, we had a kid, Shigari Aline, that went to Kentucky, a seven-three kid, who was coming to games in seventh grade you know, played at Rice High School for my friend Mo Hicks, you know, um, Bob Cimino, the coach at Mount Vernon, coached a kid named Ben Gordon, was pretty good. Pretty good. And Bob went to probably 50 Manhattan practices, you know, and Bob will always say, man, I learned so much from going to those Fran Frischella practices. And Bob became a great high school coach. But my point is, we had a connection to New York that was probably as good as even Louie had, honestly. And uh, that went away for a long time, except for that little stretch where Norm was
0: recruiting New York kids. Man, how good was Coach Frischilla? I can't. I still can't believe that Rick Barnes story. He actually went into the crowd and punched a fan. There is no way he would hold his job to this day and age if that had happened. Different times, folks. Different times. And Dave Gavitt, if you know anything about him was Mr. Big East, the godfather, the Pope. So, you know, he's the guy that created the conference. He's the guy that took care of things, if you know what I mean, right? Kind of took care of it internally, pushed it under the rug. And man, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happened in the Big East during those days, right? If you go back and see the stories with Patrick Ewing, uh, the stuff that they did with him, I mean... It's just disgusting, some of that stuff. Uh, But the Big East was just raw, physical egos, personalities. It was about the coaches. And he's right. It's turning into that today with all of the great coaches and personalities. And if Dan Hurley and Rick Pitino are going to bring attention to the Big East and have a little exchange, a little banter back and forth, by all means, bring it on. All right. Hope to have Coach Freshilla on it again in the future. We, uh, immediately top five guest on this podcast of all time. Man, the stories he has, terrific. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Let's go around the tri-state now and begin with Monmouth. They defeated Towson. And this was just you talk about a rock fight. I mean, 51-43. 43 points by Towson. In a college basketball game, when teams are scoring that in a half, they did it with defense. If you like defense and you like low-scoring games, this was your game. Towson shooting a season-low 28%. King Rice was in his glory because Monmouth did this with rebounding. They did it with defense. They really had to earn this one. And after the game, King Rice applauded his team's rebounding because Towson, was one of the top 10 rebounding teams in the country in terms of rebounding margin and efficiency. And I saw this quote on Monmouth's website. King Rice said, quote, for us to out-rebound Towson is one of the coolest things that we've accomplished this year. That is just a coach getting excited about the little things. Rebounding, boxing out, it is not a lost art. Fundamentals still matter. And they helped Monmouth win their eighth game of the season. Monmouth is now eight and six. Why is that important? Because last year, Monmouth had seven wins the entire season. Monmouth is back to being Monmouth. They are 1-0 and in the Colonial Athletic Conference. They beat a team that swept them last year. They did it with defense. They did it with rebounding. Xander Rice, their star, had 21 points. Our guy Jack Collins from Manasquan had a career-high 13 rebounds. And Monmouth is 1-0. and And serving notice, we are going to be a factor in this year with the Charlestons and the Hofstras in the Colonial Athletic Conference. They host Northeastern on Monday. So a chance against a very good Northeastern team. That that team, I know that Northeastern has played a tough schedule. We saw them against Seton Hall. That team has talent. And that team can play a little. So it's going to be interesting to see if Monmouth can take care of business on their home court in West Long Branch on Monday and start out 2-0. And the other team I want to talk about in the Tri-State this week is Sacred Heart. After a seven-game losing streak, the Pioneers have won three straight games. They defeated St. Francis of PA, 79-67 in their NEC opener. The Pioneers are 1-0 as they shoot a season-high 53%. It has been a tough non-conference for Anthony Latina's team. They have dealt with injuries. They still have some injured players out. But when healthy, they're as talented as anyone in that Northeast Conference. Joey Riley scored 19 points. That ties his season high. Nico Gallette had 18. Alex Sobel had 17. So their big three are doing it there. They're at Merrimack on Saturday. And that is an early season test in the Northeast Conference. Because Merrimack, if you look at the net rankings... They have the highest net of any team in the Northeast Conference, followed by Central Connecticut and Sacred Heart. Those are likely your top three teams in the Northeast Conference in any order. Merrimack, Central Connecticut, Sacred Heart. I'll even throw Fairleigh Dickinson in there. One of those teams will likely win the regular season. And this is an early chance for Sacred Heart to go on the road in one of the toughest environments in the Northeast Conference and put Sacred Heart in the driver's seat early. I get it. It's January, but that would be a huge feather in Sacred Heart's cap if they can beat Merrimack on the road. Central Connecticut picked up a win in their first conference game. Merrimack has already beaten Fairleigh Dickinson this week at home. Close game, but Merrimack took care of the Knights, so two and 1-0 teams getting together on Saturday, 3 p.m. at Merrimack. Keep an eye on that one in the Northeast Conference. That'll do it for this episode of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Thank you for listening, everyone. Please continue to spread the word. Give us a follow. Share us on social media. And if you can, please take the time to write out a little review. I do appreciate you very much as we continue to grow this podcast here in the tri-state area and of course thanks to our sponsor north jersey if you or your daughter or someone you know are looking to play high level softball for an elite club team visit their website at north jersey enjoy the games everyone until next time my name is brian dinabelis thanks for listening to the tri-state college basketball podcast so long